the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode I'll be chatting with Alan Seymour and Greg Bowmeister from Motorola Solutions Australia and New Zealand and they're here to talk about Motorola Solutions engagement with defence in Australia. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you Grant and good afternoon. Hi Grant, thank you. Now Alan, as Director of Defence, you're a recent hire at uh, Motorola Solutions here in Australia so I'm going to throw this first question to Greg if that's okay. Greg, as Director of Software Solutions, Let's start with an overview of of Motorola Solutions in Australia. How long have you been operating in Australia, structure of the organisation, that kind of thing? Look, we've been operating in Australia or incorporated in Australia since the late 60s, so well over 50 years. The company itself um, was founded in Chicago back in the late 20s. Um, and very shortly after that, we uh, we actually started focusing in on communications, in fact, public safety communications. The the company name Motorola is actually bringing together the, the motor car and the old radiola to get mobility in there. And that, that core foundation of radio comms has been a, a sort of an underlying element of the company through its near 100 years history. It's been an innovative company from the day one, very much an an engineering innovation company, and it's gone through a lot of changes and a lot of firsts through its journey. So um, to give you some examples, some some references that I think are are applicable, very much the early days was communications or mission-critical communications, so the police cruiser radio. But through into World War II, um, there was the development of the AM handy talkie, the bricks that defence guys would have seen, uh, the, the FM backpack, uh, through to the NASA program in, um, you know, through the 60s and the first words from the moon actually came back using all of Motorola comms gear. So we've had a long history in that space. We've also diversified in a whole lot of areas, developing some of the first cellular radio systems, paging systems, semiconductors. So we've had a lot of businesses that we develop and we we tend to spin off, including some defence businesses. Um, but I think one of the underlying platforms of the organisation and strengths has been its its core DNA of innovation and, and really driving on that mission-critical communications. Um, if you talk about or to provide some feel for our structure uh, these days, we're really focused on um, probably two main main segments, if you like. One is the government, public safety and defence segment. Um, and, and government, public safety probably makes up in excess of 70% of our business globally. And the other sector is our, our commercial consumer uh, part, which is, um, you know, very much, again, in the in the communication space. But while Motorola is very well known for mission-critical communications, um, and in particular, um, two-way radio systems, we're probably one of the leaders in the various digital standards globally for two-way communications and, and, and the like. Um, the organisation recently, in the last five to seven years, has undergone a, a, a real shift in focus. Um, and rather than just being focused on mission-critical comms, we're really broadening the requirement to what we'd like to call is mission-critical intelligence. That's a good overview of the organisation and how you're structured here. So can you talk a little bit about the products and packages that you're providing at the moment? So just to give you a feel 
uh, for that. And and just to talk a little bit about innovation, which I think leads to uh, to answering the question that, that you've asked there, is that um, over the last seven or uh, five to seven years, we've probably um, acquired in the order of, of 18 organisations. We've invested over... Um, was it seven billion Australian dollars in those acquisitions, and those acquisitions have been in areas such as uh, video, so video security, video analytics, be that fixed and mobile video, things like body worn cameras, uh, smart cameras that uh, you'll put in, and they'll have autof- uh, artificial intelligence that are learning for unusual motion detection, automatic number plate recognition, those sort of areas. We've invested uh, in acquisitions in software in a big way, uh, cybersecurity elements, building up our skill set in cybersecurity elements, um, and also managed services. So they kind of feed in and complement the traditional mission-critical communications and radio elements that uh, that we're um, sort of known for. Um, it's interesting, though, when you look at solutions, um, innovation is we do that both internally through our normal R&D, of which we spend probably around $900 million annually in what we would call the organic growth of of product development, solution development. We've got the acquisitions, but we also do venture investments. And those venture investments typically are in small startup companies that we, we look at to see how that may be something just over the horizon for us. And the sort of areas that I think are relevant that feed into it are as we move from mission-critical comms to mission-critical intelligence, it's around how do you collect data? How do you manage data? How do you turn the data into meaningful intelligence? But more importantly as well, how do you consume it? So for, a, for, for an officer or an individual in the field, how do they get that additional information and intelligence that can actually enhance their decision-making? Um, and we actually have a phrase that, that the company has had for quite a number of years now, and it's about helping people um, in the moments that matter to them. Um, give them the information so that they can do whatever their job is better. Um, the sort of areas that I think are, are of interest and in that, that we look at is things like natural language programming. How do I interface to hardware and devices? I can do it with my voice. Um, I can do it with displays you know i'm sure people are familiar with head-up displays and the old google glasses and all of the rest of it we've been dabbling with those for years to see what's on the horizon and is it applicable to uh um to a ruggedized environment one of the companies we uh, we have a, a a small stake in is actually developing really really small displays uh so small that they're actually integrating them into contact lenses so the idea is that's a potential way of of integrating um, the other area of interest is um, how do you augment um, live video feeds you're getting? So for argument's sake, uh, a drone is taking uh, streaming back footage of a mountain range. How do you overlay on top of that in real time? You know, here's where the streets are, here's where the power lines are, here's where your personnel are. So that sort of technology is, is the stuff that interests us when we, we're looking just over the horizon. So our product portfolios are really clustered around um, the mission-critical communication platform, be it a dedicated two-way radio system, be it a, um, 
an LTE, deployable LTE solution, um, be it uh, push-to-talk over cellular. There's a 3GPP standard around mission-critical push-to-talk and video streaming. We're heavily involved in that. So there's that element. There's the command and control software element. Um, there's then the video intelligence, and I mentioned a few of those, like those type of capabilities are all there. But importantly, how do we link them all together to, to provide more of a seamless transformation and, and transportation of, of relevant intelligence? Okay, so quite fascinating to hear that, and especially how, how much more there is to, like when you think of Motorola, it's typically comms and things like that, but the, the additional layers that you've put in there quite, and, and explained to me is quite fascinating. Alan, do you want to build on what's uh, been said by Greg? Absolutely, thank you. I think one of the key terms that Greg used repeatedly there was innovation. In the short time that I've been with Motorola, I've noticed that, um, or I've read how much innovation they introduce. And, and Greg's touched on some of those there that, that we either currently have or are currently developing that have so much application within defense. The simple gathering of data, the the immediate dissemination of that data to the uh, force commanders who need it and can act on it straight away. All that information that can build that common operating picture is essential to building that situational awareness and making those decisions in very, very quick time. Uh, when something that comes in that could need a decision within 30 seconds, how do we disseminate it to the right person at the right time with the right level of security clearance as well um, is all critical. And I believe that given that we have that application or we're providing a lot of those services outside of defence at the moment, then we can build that uh, application and, and, and help support defence in those sort of areas as well. How are you folks finding, like you're talking about, yes, collecting and managing data, converting it to information that becomes the intelligence that people act on? So we're, we're in, the, in the age of a glut of information when you've got so many sensors and so many systems all into networking, all feeding in. Uh, you've got edge processing, uh, back at central processing. How are you balancing all that? That's a really interesting comment, a very good question, because it is a challenge. And, it, and it's trying to balance the, the processing at the edge. Um, so, for as an example, I mentioned the, uh, the intelligent cameras, that uh, some of the intelligent cameras we have. That's really edge processing. It's doing unusual motion detection. You know, is there a, is there a crowd forming? Um, let's learn what's normal locally. And then if something abnormal happens, uh, which we had the other day, we had put one in the in the office and I came in and there was an alarm because someone came in at six o'clock and turned the lights on. It, it said that's not normal. There's, there's an in intent. It's not trying to take the decision making out of the individual, out of the individual's hands, but it's trying to, um, you know, provide that extra layer of information to actually get through the noise of the data overload. So part of it is... Yes, use edge processing because you can't pipe everything back to a big central processor. So you need to leverage that. But you also need to choose and, and filter where applicable um, so that people don't get overloaded with information. And, and also making sure that the, uh, the, the filtering doesn't miss anything that might actually turn out to be important. 
Yes, and and the other challenge, of course, then becomes storage. You, you, typically, you want to record all of all of the important, so you've got traceability and audit, audit, auditability. Can't quite say that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you don't want to uh, overload. Even though storage costs are coming down, it's still something that you need to manage and and be conscious of. So it's it is really a balancing act between multiple different technologies. Um, how long you want to retain information for, and uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah, the big juggle. Um, yes. Okay, so, uh, Alan, you've mentioned some of the current and potential, that, that view, so um, in, of engagement with defence. So can we start off with a quick uh, summary of what is Motorola Solutions ANZ's current engagement with defence in Australia? That's a, that's a good question, Grant. And when, you, when we've been speaking at such, I suppose, a higher level of technology, um, and capability that Motorola is either delivering or is developing. Uh, when we look at what we're currently providing defence, it, it seems quite limited, specifically to software and end-user devices with um, CERC-Command. We're providing end-user devices to RAF, Navy, uh, in particular to, to get closer to our uh, core business is the Joint Military Police Unit, um, and we're expanding those, that latter as well as progressively, as we introduce some of our um, uh, specific software that enhances or improves uh, interoperability. Now, I know that's one of the key problems in defence, and and we have uh, achieving that through some of our particular applications that we can um, provide interoperability between land, mobile, radio, and LTE networks, for example. Um, and that's a particular application that's currently used in four out of the five. Uh, five I members, so there is greater application for that across the broader defence community, in my opinion. And and with that interoperability, it's not just across Australian defence, the joint aspect. Uh, how are you finding it with also, as we saw during recent natural disasters, both here and in the Pacific, as we're trying to work with local first responders and other groups and local militaries, for example, in the, in the Pacific. Um, how are you finding that um, availability for interoperability there? Because I know some systems, if it's US and it's under uh, controls, we're not allowed to let other people handle it. So it makes the comms kind of tricky there. And you've, you've raised a very good point there, Grant, uh, whereas uh, a lot of the equipment and technology that Defence uses has those ITAR controls and other restrictions on its use. Motorola equipment doesn't have that those similar restrictions. Um, so it can be employed or used across the our South Pacific or Southwest Pacific neighbours and neighbouring countries um, without restriction, as well as across uh, NATO or other areas similar to that. So we've got, um, when I say we, the Australian Defence Force has a, a little bit of a problem there with interoperability with the um, police and emergency services. I believe we can address that issue. Um, one of the things that stood out to me when I first... Um, first joined Motorola was if we take if we use the analogy of police and emergency services they are operational 24 hours a day seven days a week now they may not be at the same scale as defense but they still have similar requirements and and similar challenges shall we say it's just a level of scale so when I look at what we 
provide to some police and emergency services. We have the equivalent of a battle management system in front of them that provides them with that common operating picture or the commanders with that common operating picture. And that battle management system, as Greg alluded to before, is taking multiple feeds from multiple sensors and overlaying that information across there. So we can use these same terms and same requirements that defence has and, and have that analogy within the police environment. Uh, a few years ago, or probably a decade or so ago, there was no exchange of information domestically between states. So you could commit an offence in one state and it wouldn't be picked up because there was no exchange between the states. That's all dropped now. So we've in, the, the, that interoperability or exchange of information and data has has enhanced their capability. And Motorola is, is part of that as well. And that's the sort of um, innovation that we could bring to defence, where we could make the, improve their interoperability between themselves and the police and emergency services on one level. And I think that that comment on interoperability across uh, even the public safety agencies within Australia, if you start talking about disaster recovery support, is a key one that has been uh, really vexing public safety community for 20 years plus. Um, there's a whole bunch of technologies now, and it's not just technology, by the way, it's it's the will, it's policy, it's all of the rest of it, um, but is there that can actually enable that. Um, thankfully, in Australia, pretty much most of the emergency services around the country have standardised on a particular type of radio technology. Um, so to interface to that for defence becomes a, a little bit easier and to actually create that interoperability between the states for disaster recovery is also a lot more achievable. Yeah, we saw that especially with the uh, the fires um, in 2019, 2020, and also, of course, the 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 um, hassles that more recently with some of the floods that spanned both southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. So, definitely, lots of examples of where interoperability between uh, not just first responders but also defence. So, you've you've mentioned about applying innovation and Motorola's innovation uh, and products that are being used in other areas into defence. So what opportunities do you see to apply that and expand your engagement with the Australian Defence Force? There are probably three areas that I see where, and we've touched on one, where we can improve that interoperability interoperability between um, police, emergency services, uh, or or the the domestic infrastructure and and defence itself. There are other innovative areas that we're developing now and we're very close to commercially providing. And such as, specifically, there's a deployable 5G uh, LTE network. Uh, If we put that into the defense context, that gives them a 5G tactical network that can interface with or be interoperable with their existing systems. That's one area. And that includes having multiple carriers, whether it be existing domestic carriers or international carriers or satellite including LEO capabilities there, the low Earth orbit satellite capabilities. Going back to some of Greg's earlier comments as well, where we we put that into context and apply that within the defence environment, interoperability on bases where you've got multiple parties all working together. Now, if there's an incident, for example, on a RAF base, the commander needs to have all that information available. We believe that we have that ability to provide that common operating picture by taking all those different feeds and all those different radio networks in and providing it into one common operating picture that he or she needs to make the necessary decisions on time. So boosting situational awareness and, and so on is what I'm hearing a lot of. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. 
and the, the, this gives them the um, security uh, or cryptography aside, there are ways around that as well. And we have done that. Well, when I say we, most Royal Solutions has overcome those issues in the past. I mean, we currently work with a lot of uh, defence forces uh, internationally and integrate with or add to or uh, complement their current uh, uh, cryptographic requirements. Another area we can look at is using the videos that Greg mentioned that Motorola is moving into, um, enhanced video security uh, with coupled with analytics and machine learning that enable uh, or take out a lot of that initial analysis um, that, that frees up the, the um, personnel to just make those critical decisions that they need in t- in time those sort of areas so from a, from a base security perspective with um, the video that that Alan was just mentioning you can end up with using video for uh, automatic number plate recognition who's coming on the base are they white listed you know are they a member straight away link it with your various access controls there's the automatic facial recognition capabilities that you could deploy uh, we have a capability called um, uh, effectively uh, you're looking to try and uh, find someone so you can say hey i'm looking for this particular individual let's see where they are in in the network so you can effectively find that um, Safety is a is an issue that we're starting to see in a lot of applications. Uh, you know, a body worn camera or a panic button or um, or a range of, of capabilities. Knowing who's on the base, uh, knowing uh, for argument's sake, uh, if if you actually need, we have some procedural software so that uh, effectively, you know, if someone swipes their card and it's read as a false read or whatever, here's the the outline of what the security personnel should do. The ability to change that dynamically when an alert level at a base changes um, is something that becomes important as well. So we've got some some software to actually help that to link into the various um, video and analytic systems as well. We're going to shift gears a little here, and this is a question we like to throw at people, and it comes up again and again, especially as it's very topical. How do you folks define sovereign capability? What is sovereign? <laughs> Greg looks relieved. <laughs> um, very topical, uh, as as you're aware, Grant. Um, but how do we define it? Uh, in simple terms, they're, they're capabilities that are critical to defence. Um, ideally developed and supported here within Australia. In simple terms, uh, Australia having control over the design, manufacture and, and support functions over behind each capability. But we've got to temper that. That level of control varies with each capability. Um, fighter jets, for example, we're unlikely to ever fully own those or ever design or build them ourselves. So there's always going to be that element of uh, reliance upon other countries or other organisations based overseas. Similarly, there are marketing limitations. Manufacturing here in Australia just for the Defence Force has severe limitations. There's just not the, the buying power and there are limited incentives from the government to to build exclusively here and then export from here to, to other countries as well. So there's we temper each one depending on what the capability is. But Motorola Solutions itself, we're an Australian-based company and we provide or uh, goods and services to approximately 90% of Australian police and emergency services. And we've been doing that for a long, long time. 
Um, so underpinning that uh, support to them, we have already here a, a, a strong support structure, which includes maintenance, supply, training, engineering as well. All those support structures are in place for those particular organizations. They can be there also for defense, or they are there for defense if needed. Um, but they can be scaled according to, accordingly, depending on what the, the requirements are. And we make adjustments accordingly. The other thing I'd add to the mix when you talk about sovereignty is when you start talking in the software and data spaces is, is where that data and information resides as well. That becomes very important. And certainly we see that from a, a public safety sense as well and a background here as, as keeping and setting up systems either on premise uh, where customers want full control or if they do want it in the cloud, um, it's, it's typically in uh, cloud services that are based in country. Um, so that becomes another element to factor in. And, and meet the Australian Signals Directorate's uh, secure cloud requirements and so on and auditing and et cetera. So, yeah, very important that if you're going to have your cloud but you want to keep it sovereign. So as was mentioned in there, uh, you've got a lot of, of local staff and uh, you're able to provide a lot of local services and so on. So that segues into uh, a question regarding how are you recruiting and retaining sufficient skilled staff to meet your current and future needs, especially now as we transition from COVID restrictions to the new COVID normal of lots of us getting it <laughs> and being away from work. But how, how are you going with um, recruitment in general? It's it's not a uh, and recruiting is not specifically my area at the moment. But I I know that we have troubles uh, or difficulties like most organisations in Australia for those skilled resources, especially in the STEM skills. Uh, the differentiator is that we once we get the people, we tend to hold on to them for a very very long time. And an element of that is that I believe that um, Motorola Solutions Australia is is critical to the success of our customers. We provide their lifeline. And the people that join us have that sense of, of purpose and feel needed um, and they're well rewarded within the organisation so they have that tendency to stay longer. That doesn't get away from initially finding them. So as part of initially finding them, we have a number of mechanisms or structures in place including graduate programs um, that's been active now for about seven years uh, as well as support to various organisations in various universities. And we've partnered with Monash University for three years now as mentors in the, in the Masters in Software Development. Uh, at Swinburne University, we provide a cadet program for software de design uh, placements. And we've actually hired 75% of the graduates uh, or cadets into that graduate program from Swinburne. On the STEM side of it, we are active sponsors for the Victorian ICT for women. Uh, there's a Grad Girls program, which is a mentorship for female university students, and a, a Go Girls program also to increase females in STEM, which starts at primary school age. So we're, we're heavily involved in, in the development of the skills and then bringing those graduates or cadets into our program as under a mentor, uh, mentorship scheme. Um, and obviously from that, we retain uh, quite a few of those people as well. Uh, are you also working uh, with Indigenous Australians? Do you have any um, procedures around that? 
We have a number of programs similar to what I've mentioned before about the STEM and the, and the support programs and cadetships. Uh, we've uh, we have uh, leadership programs where we uh, acknowledge the Indigenous programs and the communications. Uh, structures that they need to bring them in. Uh, there's the Motorola has a partnership with the Poly Pharma Foundation, uh, which supports Indigenous students. Uh, we, and in the previous years, we've had about six students last year, uh, nine this year apparently, um, backed up with a senior mentor support program as well. Um, we have a dedicated committee within Motorola Solutions Australia uh, called the Multi Multicultural Team, um, and they're task is, is specifically there to, in, to try and engage more closely with the Indigenous uh, community and employ and, and work with uh, Indigenous Australians much more. I'd just like to sort of sum up because having been working with Motorola for, or for Motorola for many years, um, I think um, Alan's comment that there is a sense of purpose. Um, in, in coming here. You're not just selling ice creams. You're actually developing new technology that's that's making everyone and enabling our, our emergency services and defence defense personnel to actually make it safer. So that's that's important. I think it's a good working environment. I think the the culture of innovation and change means it's exciting and, and gives us the opportunity to attract uh, attract new talent. One of the challenges we've got is people still view us as an old radio company and trying to get that message out that, hey, we're doing all of this exciting stuff now. We are a different organisation than we were five years ago, 10 years ago. And a lot of people still know us for the Motorola flip phone. Well, we sold that business off yep. ages ago. Um, <laughs> I think that's that's a really positive element. And, and because of that change, because of that innovation, there's plenty of opportunities within the organisation as it continues to evolve. Okay, so uh, aside from coming on podcasts such as this, uh, how how else is Motorola Solutions uh, working to get that message out? You're working with some universities. Uh, you're you're spreading the word, but how, how are you finding that's working out for you? Have you got any other paths that you're exploring? Um, yeah, it 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 is getting traction. It's hard to get. Um, I think uh, above the noise of everyone else. Um, as a reflection of the of the change in company, uh, we mentioned some engineering capabilities in country. We actually have a Melbourne Design Centre, which is a software house. It's it's based down in in uh, downtown Melbourne. Um, it we have actually run to engage uh, the the sort of software community. Uh, we haven't for a couple of years with COVID, but hackathons where we'll get teams in and, and start to develop products with, uh, with customers coming in and presenting challenges to try and get, uh, get people excited. And from that, we've actually had some products that have spun out and, and some people that have joined us. So really trying to cover the, the, the bases from right down from the schools, informing our, um, uh, our customer base and, and the broader community as to what we, uh, what we represent these days. Well, I think that's a pretty good spot to uh, start wrapping this up. Uh, gentlemen, is there anything that you feel that I should have asked that I haven't already asked that you'd like to uh, contribute before we call this a wrap? I think if I can just add that um, and to re-emphasise the points that certainly Greg raised during the discussion is that Motorola Solutions Australia is, or Motorola Solutions is an innovative company. Um, they've come up with an awful lot of new technology that has been used or still being developed in um, in the commercial world, as well as the police and emergency services environment, um, and it's well received. 
we have made or are making inroads uh, across defence organisations around the world, particularly the US and um, Europe. And we now see or feel that a lot of that technology or capability has application here within Australia as well. And as Greg alluded to before, it's about changing that perception, changing that image. We don't do flip phones anymore. We, we've gone beyond that. We have innovated to some incredibly um, advanced technology that would make defence's life a lot easier, especially around interoperability between themselves and the domestic emergency services environment, and that's across the whole of Australia. But also you could transfer that capability and use it in the deployed environment, particularly around the maintenance areas, the logistical support areas, the, the areas close to the battle space uh, that would contribute and help improving that situation awareness, give the commanders that common operating picture to help their decision-making process. Okay. Well, Alan and Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show and having a chat to us about Motorola Solutions Australia New Zealand. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening to us once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.